0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Good, it's so good to be back with all of you. I'm going to jump right into the Word of God today because we have, it's a a big piece of understanding we're going to embrace today. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's start reading there. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 finding about what the Lord has for us to to learn today. The amazing thing about the Word of God and the book that God has given to us, the Bible, is a lot of people don't realize it's just a really simple story, simple narrative about the battle between God and His enemy and the rebellion that happened at the very beginning of creation. It's an amazing story. And it all ties together once you begin to see the big picture. So here we have Peter, the Apostle Peter, the follower of Jesus, loved Jesus. There's a lot to glean from a man who was a simple fisherman and gave his life to the Lord, and he's writing to fellow believers. Now, let's just remind ourselves what we had just learned that Peter is addressing. He's saying, here's areas where people are going to watch you to figure out who you are. First area will be in the area of your relationship with government and how that unfolds. The second area he said is gonna be the relationship that you have at your work, whether you're the person in charge or you have someone overseeing you. Very important area, important enough to address. Then the third area talks about is our marriages and how important those are to the Lord as well. People are watching. And then the final area that we realize that God is saying to us, I want to address how you do community together and how important that is. And so we have to realize that in all those areas of our lives right now, there is a challenge that comes against them. Don't underestimate the, the threat that comes against those four areas of your life and how we navigate that and how we walk through it because the Lord says those are very important. So let's just remember now, this is written to a group of people that the government had come against them, they lost their homes, their friends had lost their lives, they lost their livelihoods, they couldn't live in Jerusalem anymore, and they were scattered. So we have to realize as well, what is that going to do? It's going to put stress on your marriage and on your relationship. Had to address the issue. What if one of you believes in Jesus and the other one doesn't, and you're both paying the price for that? That's a very real issue. We can only imagine what that's like. And then you find yourself, your work relationships have been disrupted. Um, You're outside of your culture, the way they do everything is different. And then if you have a, a group of individuals and their lives have been virtually destroyed in the natural, how do they do community? How do you live well together when you're facing those kind of challenges? So that's, It's it's really good for us to take a look at this today. So we're going to start reading in verse 13. And um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just unlock the scriptures for us today, that we would have understanding. And I thank you for how relevant they are in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians 3.13, And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? So who's going to hurt you if you're doing the right thing? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be in dread. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. Keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will to do it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also went to make proclamation to the spirits in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So as we're looking at the scripture right here, I think it's kind of, well, really neat that the Lord has us on this weekend while we're talking about baptism, because that baptism is very significant. It's, it might be, as we're reading this passage, a huge leap in your mind to get from doing the right thing and good behavior, no matter what the price is, to a conversation about what happened to Jesus from his death until his resurrection, and how he preached a sermon to unrighteous spirits who are locked in one of the compartments of hell. It's it's really quite a quite leap, but what the Apostle Peter wants us to understand, and believers, I'm praying for myself and for all of us that we would have a wake-up to the spiritual nature, nature of the battle that we are in. Now, within my own day, but I, I also think it's quite right that within... The history of the world never has the potential for a universal mindset against the God who made this planet is so well organized. We actually do live in a day where there is a threat against the Christian idea of your marriage and what that's meant to look like, how you are to live righteously. There are issues right now that 10 years ago, you would have been at peace with your position but if you take a position now, suddenly it, it could almost feel like 50% of our culture is, will, would be turning against you. Here's what the Apostle Peter is saying here. Sometimes when you do good, it gets rewarded because that's the nature of the earth. If you're a good behaving person and you do the right thing and people begin to figure out in your marriage, at your job, with your government and with your church, you're not a liar. If you are not a liar inside those four areas, it's going to work well for you if you're a blesser, if you do what's right and you do what's good. So there's no punishment for that. It's the same argument is used for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you demonstrate the Spirit-filled life, you walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. And the Bible says against such things, there's no law. Governments don't pass laws against love or joy or peace or or anything like that. But then the Apostle Peter said, but what if you're in one of those seasons where it doesn't work out? First off, he wants to remind us, the path to God's blessing is to always do the right thing. And God will bless that and honor it. And because of the nature of humanity, most people will honor it, but... He has to speak to people that are being persecuted and he helps us to realize, but there are seasons just for what you believe in or for doing the right thing, you're going to end up being punished for it. So he goes on to these things in the passage and I think it's really beautiful if you stick with me about how the Lord is just saying, but this is the nature of the spiritual battle. So we live right now in a world that can be hostile against our faith, our ideas, But we have to remember this, is that the Lord is saying, but God is always in control. And no matter what you're going through right now, I just want to assure you once again that God is in control. Whether you live during a season where good is rewarded or whether you live in a season where good is punished, at the end of the day, God is in control. And that is our message and that is our word and that is our confession. And we're going to be looking at that. So the first thing that we realize, when it comes to good behavior and you doing the right thing, first off, in in God's eyes, it's profitable and he will bless you for it. And most people will not harm you for doing the right thing. But the truth is this, is that eventually persecution will come. Eventually, even if you lived in a good season where righteousness is blessed, because your identity with Christ And that simple identity, no matter what you do, we have to understand that we were awakened and made alive by a completely different spirit than the spirit that's in this world. And that's why you and I have got to remember that people are not our enemy. Our battle is in the spirit realm. So if you're in a huge battle with your government, always remember that they're not your enemy. But the Bible says treat them with respect. If you're in a battle at work, remember whether you're the boss or whether someone's working for you and someone's working for you, or whether you have a boss and you're working for someone else, the Bible just says, I want you to remember this, those people are not your enemy. If you grow up in the Lord, you have to realize what you're battling against. If your marriage is really just going through a really difficult time, the Lord would just say, hey, remember this, don't get into the place where your family members are your enemy. And Families can get to that point, and Christians can too. And then finally, just realize that when you come together in a church, have you made anybody within the congregation your enemy? And, but that's not the ultimate mature understanding of who we are in Christ. We are invited into the kingdom of God. We were translated out of the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus said, people will hate your light. They will hate the light in you. Because even when you do something good, Jesus said, it exposes their darkness. And the darkness will rise up against the light. So first thing, realize, though, before God, doing the right thing is profitable. Eventually, persecution will rise up against it. Jesus said, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The third thing we realize, that in that passage, he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, here's what it comes down to. Here's Here's the battle line. Who's your Lord? Who do you ultimately give allegiance to? When it says sanctify Christ as Lord, it's saying that when you say Jesus Christ is my Lord, you're living in a world that says, no, he's not my Lord. I obey something else. Now, people think they... Obey a myriad of different things, but over all the other things outside of Christ, there is one who was Lord over all the systems of this earth. And so the Lord just says to us now, when you take a stand for what is right, make sure though that you are aligned with who Christ is and that He really is your Lord, and you're not being just a rebel, but you're Christ is set apart in your heart and you really desire to live for him and that your motivations are sincere and that he says, if you set apart Christ as Lord in your life, the the people under the lordship of the God of this world will come against you. But when you deal with them, Be ready to give an answer, like we just announced discipleship too. The Lord says, you ought to be preparing yourself to give an answer for people who ask you why you believe the way that you believe. Don't just get into this empty-minded kind of thing like, oh, when I go to church, I check my brain at the door, and I live this little faith moment, and then I go out and live in the real world. The Bible is saying, you and I ought to be able to answer and respond to the people that have arguments with why we are who we are or why we believe. And he says, when you talk to them, keep it gentle and respectful. How do you keep it gentle and respectful? Because you realize that person is not my enemy. They are being led by a different spirit in the same way you are being led by a righteous spirit. That should move our hearts in compassion towards them. And mercy, realizing that Satan, the God of this world, has deluded the world to believe a lie. And for some reason, and we all know we didn't deserve it, God opened us up to the truth. And Jesus says, you couldn't have come to me unless the Father drew you. So then the fourth thing that he says, third, that you have to sanctify Christ as Lord. Fourth thing, and then keep a good conscience. And see, I, I can't, I can't change anybody. I don't have the authority and the power to change anybody else. The only person whose behavior I can change is my own. And I have to take personal responsibility for the condition of my conscience. So when we live in a world that's contrary to the way we believe, the Lord just says, keep a clean conscience. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in all your ways. But you know concerning your motivations, your desire is to do the right thing. And keep a good conscience, he says, even when you're slandered. Even when they disparage your good behavior. Just keep a good conscience. At the end of the day, when you fall asleep, you fall asleep with yourself. When the conscious lights go out. So the Lord just wants us to know and understand something. The important for believers to be mature in their understanding of the nature of the spiritual battle that we The followers of the Lord had been from the moment that Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. Jesus said to her, there will be enmity between you and the serpent. It's the way the world is going to operate. Every story in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is about the enmity that comes between God and his enemy. So he says in verse 18, Christ suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. Let me just stop right there. What Peter wants us to understand is, is that God became flesh. What is God? God is spirit. The Bible says God is invisible. Why did the Bible bother to tell us that God is invisible? Why did it bother to explain to us that God is in and over everything? He's not limited to one body, one shape. And you can't see him. He's invisible. But God, who is invisible, became visible. And how did he do it? He took on human flesh. And the battle has always been between the flesh and the spirit realm. What can be seen and what cannot be seen. And that's why this verse says that Christ came in the flesh and he died in his flesh so that we might be made spiritually alive. The whole reason that you were saved is so that you might be alive and conscious and aware of the spirit realm and that world that's going on all around you. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, in, in, in the middle of your light affliction, these are people that are losing their life, he calls it light affliction. He's saying, listen, in the big picture, that's small. Because you've been created to be an eternal spiritual being, to enter into the presence of the Lord. He says, in this condition that you're in right now, don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that you're not seen. Oh, my word, if there was ever a time that the spirit of discernment by the Holy Spirit needs to raise up people that are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, who look at the world that's going around them, and they do not measure anything according to what they see, but they understand that there is a spiritual realm that is empowering the forces that come against Christ, against his people, against his church. He says it's the only way to survive in the middle of the battle. For the things, he says, which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The whole reason Christ came is to awaken us, awaken us spiritually and that we would be spiritual beings. And it says in the passage that we're reading now, in which Christ went and he made proclamation to spirits in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Wait a minute. You're asking yourself this question. How does he go from how to live in the spiritual battle and understand what happened to Jesus from when he died on the cross? What did he do from that moment for the three days until he rose again? Peter says understanding what happened in that moment is critical to your own personal spiritual awakening and survival. What's amazing about all of that is, is that Jesus went down and preached to a group of individuals created by the hand of God who are in rebellion against them. They're not human, they're spirit. Why is God telling us this? Why did Jesus go down and preach to a bunch of demonic powers that could care less what he was saying and we find out later in the book are going to continue to be in rebellion against God in perpetuity? Why would Jesus preach to a bunch of spirits that want nothing to do with what he has to say and they weren't going to listen to him? Why? Because that message and that example is for us. And that message is this. You stand on the side of truth no matter what, no matter whether people accept what you have to say. You still declare it because it is right, because it is good. And when you speak the word of the Lord, it causes the enemies of God to tremble. It's time for a group of individuals who understand who they are in Christ because the Bible says I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me. When Christ died on the cross I as a believer my sins were placed in him. I was in his death and his death worked in me. He took my punishment and the Bible says I followed that journey spiritually with Christ. When Christ preached to the powers of darkness I was with him as he preached the apostle Peter is saying this when you are coming up against spiritual powers you still declare the faithfulness and the righteousness of Christ you declare his lordship even if you're preaching to demons you still say what is the right thing to say because at the end of it all those who align themselves with Jesus Christ will be rejoicing that they did for all eternity That's why this is so important, because the spiritual battle is real. When a person knows that he, when he declares righteousness and people hate him for it, he doesn't get all defensive, he doesn't get all angry. What does he do? He just understands this. I am aligning myself with Christ and God will bless my good behavior even if the world hates me for it. And I believe that the spiritual battle is real and nobody has the power unless it is handed to them by the Lord to do me any kind of harm whatsoever. The enemy could not have crucified Jesus had it not been given to, the, to his enemies to do it. Jesus let us know. He could have called thousands of angels in his defense, but his battle wasn't with the Jewish authorities that wanted him crucified. His battle wasn't with the Romans. He was battling the unseen realm. And it's the same thing with us. That's why when they accused Jesus, what did he do? He kept his mouth shut. He didn't respond in kind. Why? He knew. These these people, they're not my enemy. I know what I'm battling against. God would call the believer to the very same thing. And God here is calling a, a group of people who lost their homes, their jobs, their livelihoods, their marriages, their city, everything. They lost it all. And the Bible says, but you can move forward in gentleness and in kindness See, the, Bibles are so, the Bible is so specific about making the spiritual battle real. I wish I could go through the Scriptures and see, you, show to you how many times the battle was revealed to be spiritual, even though it was happening in the natural realm. We realize that when God made the angels, that they appear throughout the book. Listen, you and I are people of the book. That means you and I are people of the angels. You and I are people of the angels. We pray to a God who can send angels more powerful than any human person, more powerful than any governmental system, marriage system, job system, church system. God is bigger. And we can pray to him and God can release those angels. We have 273 times in the Bible that angels are mentioned. We have 34 books in the Bible that mention angels coming on behalf of people because there were men and women throughout the scriptures who believed that the battle is in the spirit realm and that God is the God of the angels. Did you know that the Bible says that your angels, your angels, your angels aren't my angels, you have angels. And they're always beholding the face of God, the Bible says. Jesus taught us that. Why? Because they're waiting. They're waiting for God to give them instructions. Hey, you're human? They need help right now. And as soon as God... I don't release God's angels. God releases his angels. The angels don't answer to me. They answer to God. But I talk to God, and God talks to my angels, and God tells my angels what to do. That's what's so amazing. The spiritual battle is so real. The spirit realm is so real that the Bible calls us to a conscious awareness that every person we see could be an angel that has taken a form that looks like a person. We are called to live that way. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. And then why does he say we should love each other? And don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Angels are spirit beings. The Bible says if you can see something, it's not eternal, it's temporal. But the angels will live forever because they come directly from the creation of God. So we realize that they are eternal beings sharing in God's eternality, not their own eternality. But we find out that the Bible just says that they can take a human appearance and that the Bible says, be careful how you treat anybody because you live in such a, an expectation that you don't know who that person is. We don't know. There could be someone sitting in this room right now that's an angel. I don't see any of you that look like one, but actually. <laughs> any of you could be an angel. And the Bible says, be, here, be careful how you treat each other. Even the man standing on the median with his dog in his sign at the stoplight, asking for help. The Bible says, treat humanity in brotherly kindness, knowing that some of you have entertained angels unaware. So afraid to give that person that $5 bill, and yet we don't know where that angel knows that that person, where that hidden person is that needs that money. The Bible says we live in a constant awareness of that, even to the point where it changes how we treat every human being. Angels are everywhere. John in the book of Revelation said that he saw angels around the throne of God. Now those are the ones that are just around the throne and he saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, what he says there. Just the angels around the throne of God are over 100 million angels. Now you're thinking about that. Imagine if you were at the throne room of God and the third of the population of the United States of America was around the throne of God and giving him praise. That's the number of angels. And there seems to be an indication in the scriptures that there is an illusion given that when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. So we understand that if we just put these things together, and you can't build too strong an evidence of this, but for every demonic and angelic power that Satan has, God's got two on your side. Now listen, God doesn't need angels to protect his throne or to protect heaven, or he could just have music come out of nowhere, but God has decided to create beings who will, in heaven, fulfill his purpose, and the ones created on the earth in his image, unlike the angels in heaven, carry the image of God inside themselves. Angels and men have been created. Among the angels that were created, hundreds of millions at least, we realize that now they are divided into two camps. So picture this, on this planet today there are human Beings who have sanctified Jesus Christ as their Lord. They are on God's side. On this planet, there is the rest of humanity who will not accept the Lordship of Christ, and they are aligned with the third of the angels that rebelled against God. Do we understand the nature of the spiritual battle in which we are engaged? So God made these angels, of of all the angels he made, the Bible only reveals three of their names, Michael, Gabriel, and the other one's name is Lucifer. These were powerful angels, and we realized that there was a hierarchy in heaven. In heaven, angels had different stations and different powers and different authorities. When the rebellion happened, and the rebellious angel with the angels with their leader were cast out of heaven. They created the same kind of structure upon the earth. We have biblical evidence of that. So that when we are battling inside the spiritual realms, there might be small level spiritual powers of darkness, but we also realize that the Bible says there are some big ones out there as well. As we're thinking about this and thinking about Michael and Gabriel, they were two angels that didn't fall, but the one named Lucifer did. The Bible obviously speaks of the one Lucifer and later revealed as Satan. He's powerful. He's beautiful. He's wise. He had been created for good, but he was given the power of choice. And here's what the Bible says about this one called Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. He was anointed, the Bible says, actually to be the protector of heaven. Again, God didn't need a being to protect him. He was safe, but he chooses to create beings around him. God is a relational God, created angelic beings and he created humans to fulfill his purpose upon the earth. But Satan, who was covered with the beautiful stones upon the earth, we find out that his heart was lifted up with pride and out of his choice, he fell. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, let me read that for us. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, the Lord is saying this. You can't battle the battle that's going on the earth today just as a human. You can't be strong in yourself. You have to be strong in the Lord. The Bible says the weapons of your warfare are not human, but they are divinely powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. He says to us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Here's what he's helping us to understand is that the iniquity that's on the earth and the evil that's on the earth today is not just, um, well, evil is just the absence of good. No, it's not just the absence of good. There is an intelligent force, a strategizing a manipulative force taking power over areas of government, over ideas and philosophies and religion they're backed up intelligently if we ask ourselves why, can't, why are people going in the directions they're going in it's because there's a strategy that was released upon the earth from the very beginning and the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, the, the when the, when the structure of the hierarchy of the angels fell from heaven, that structure was set up upon the earth and Satan stands in the place that Christ is meant to stand. So we have this revelation that we're, we're against big powers and little powers and the Bible says, okay, so don't be strong in yourself, be strong in the Lord. Take up the full armor of God. Because let's read again in our text, verse 19 to 20, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who once were disobedience, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now he goes to a story when a rebellion had covered the earth, the entire planet. The rebellion had gotten so big that there was only one righteous man left. Let me tell you about the nature of that, revo- that rebellion. It's revealed in the scriptures. The fallen angels called the sons of God. Why are they called the sons of God? It's because I'm, I, as, when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, I became a son of God, but I'm not a son of God like the angels are. And angels aren't sons of God like I am. They're called the sons of God because I can also be called the son of my mother and the son of my father. But angels have no angelic mother or father. Every single angel came out of the creation of God. Everyone was directly out by the hand of God. Each and every individual one of them was formed, unlike God's process for me, I'm the child of a human being. But through Christ, I became a son of God. Do we understand that? The book of Genesis, it said the sons of God, the angels, the rebellious ones, looked at the daughters of men and saw that they were fair and desired to have relationships with them. And they had relationships with the daughters of men. And the Bible says their offspring became the renowned men of old. In other words, that's what your legends were based upon. Now, I'm not saying I believe in the gods of the Greeks and of the Romans, but who were those beings that we have many stories about? They are the legends of old. Those beings that were upon the earth, the Bible says, there's a story to why those legends are amongst humanity. And the reason is there was a rebellion when heaven fell, the angels had relations with the daughters of men, created these super powerful beings. And that Bible says that Noah became the last man who was pure, it says. In other words, he was the only one that wasn't mixed blood between fallen angels and men. That's why if people ask you the question, why would a God kill the whole planet with a flood? Because God in his mercy, he had told us, that the seed of Eve was going to produce a Messiah and the rebellion would be against him. And Satan thought he'd corrupt all humanity and make him unsavable. You say, how could that be? Christ became, God became a man to save man, but God never became an angel to save the angels as well. God only became a man to save man because man was created in the image of God. The spiritual battle today is between those who have received Christ and have been restored back to the image of God. We're not perfect, far from it. But the bottom line is this, is do we realize who we are in this world that's in rebellion against God? So God had one option, one strategy. He sent the flood. And he sent the flood. It wiped out the rebellion. And at that event, it says in the scriptures that God placed those fallen angels, sons of God, into a compartment in hell. It's called the abyss where they are being kept until the end. So as we look at this passage, we write here that for 120 years, Noah built an ark and he declared that he obeys God. And he preached to a, a world that wouldn't listen to him. That's why, when Jesus won the victory on the cross, he went to those same fallen spirits who created a global rebellion once before. And even though they weren't going to listen to them, he declared who he is. Do you know today that as a believer, you are in Christ preaching to a fallen world that you know who Jesus is and you live for him. You watch every word that comes out of your mouth. You check your confession. You and I want to get to the point where we make sure that everything aligns out of our mouth with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't attack human beings. We don't attack people. We fight the fight where we need to fight it. It's not against flesh and blood, but we fight with the spiritual weapons that we have been given by the Lord. We are sanctified and set apart to Christ. For the sake of time, all I can do is tell you the story about a man named Daniel. Because Daniel was a man who realized that there were powers that were keeping the revelation from coming to mankind. So he, what does it say to him about him? He began to fast. What kind of fast? He said, I'm not going to eat, drink any wine. I'm not going to eat any delicacies. I'm going to pursue God. And he pursued God for 21 days. He was a man who said, I don't live for delicacies. I don't live for food. I live for God. That's what Jesus said. Man, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There are men and women who have walked this earth who understand I'm in a spiritual battle and I'm on the Lord's side and I am going to declare the righteousness of God and I am going to be a man of fasting and of prayer to seek the breakthrough that God has. Daniel was a man who began to pray and seek the Lord, and he wasn't getting his answer. And finally, the angel of God shows up. And the angel says, I came as soon as you began to fast and pray. As soon as you rejected the natural realm, and says, I live for the spiritual realm, God sent an angel. And that angel says to Daniel, I'm the angel and I've come here to send a revelation to you. But I ran into a principality. I ran into a regional power, an assignment, and the strategy of the enemy. And Daniel, you live in Persia, and I was coming to bring the word to you in Persia, but Daniel didn't know. All he knew, I better seek God. I better sanctify God inside my heart. I must be a God seeker. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray until there is a breakthrough. My battle's not with the king of Persia. My battle's not with the people that are enslaving us. My battle is for the sake of God. And Daniel prayed. And the angel said to Daniel, from the moment you began to pray, I was sent from heaven. I ran into a prince of Persia, a principality, a big guy on the dark side. And he said, the Michael angel, because of your prayers, was released and battled against the prince of Persia. And he says, when he was defeated, the prince of Persia, I was able to bring the revelation to you. I'm telling you, you think it's any different for the Rory Fork Valley? Absolutely it's not. You think the nature of our battle is any different? Absolutely not. Will we be men and women that will sanctify Christ in our hearts and just say, man, I'm not on this planet to, to accumulate the things that you can see? No, I'm here to live for the Lord. I'm here to declare, even in a generation that will not listen, the righteousness of Christ. So the angel said to Daniel, Daniel, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid no matter what comes against you, because for every power that comes against you, God's got a bigger angel. I'm telling you, no matter what problem you face, God's got a bigger angel. So Jesus went down and he preached to those angels, those fallen spirits. He declared, I won. I won. I I, I meet a lot of Christians right now. We're we're wringing our hands over the condition of the world, you know, and it is hard to watch some of the things that are going on, but what's our message? Jesus Christ won, and we win. (laughs) That's it. Jesus went to minister in a place, and a demon rose up inside a man, a legion, and they said, please don't send us to the abyss. They knew this place that was being talked about. Don't send us to that place where the angels were locked up during the rebellion before Noah's flood. Don't send us there, please. And they said to him, what are you doing? Have you come to to, um, test us before our times? You come to judge us before it's time? The angels even know that at the end, the fallen angels, they know they lose. They want to take as much ground as they possibly can. And Christ calls you and me to sanctify and set apart Christ in our hearts, to live solely for him, to keep a clean conscience, and believe that the weapons of our warfare, and I'm telling you, is every indication in the Bible, the leading weapon is fasting and prayer before the Lord. Fasting and prayer, the strongholds will be broken. You can't draw a sword against the spirits that come against this age. The only thing that you can do is declare the, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And then it says this, and I'll wrap up with this. Peter said, corresponding to Christ's preaching to the fallen angels before the flood, I want you to remember your baptism. Did you know that the flood was a picture of your baptism? Noah was a man who decided to live righteous and preach for 120 years and nobody would listen to him. But God decided, I'm going to save that man because he's willing to live for me. Noah was far from perfect and so are we. But Noah got on that ark and as he went through the waters of the flood, the apostle Peter said, that's the picture of your baptism. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you. The Lord would say to you, don't change your confession to match the world's confessions. Don't fight fire with fire, but you fight with righteousness and with goodness. He says, your baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from your flesh, but you're appealing to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God and have gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subject to him. See, here's the thing. Jesus never quit until he was seated at the right hand of God. He never quit. I'm telling you, don't ever quit until you're seated at the right hand of God. You fight the good fight of faith, you never give up any ground. You preach even when it's unpopular and nobody listens to you because you know in whom you have believed. And you know that he's able to keep everything that you've committed to him against any evil day. I want you to find faith and hope inside your heart no matter what level of battle has been risen up against you this week that because you have come to Christ, you are on the right side. And the Lord is with you just like he was with Jesus. And you are someday going to rejoice in the Lord for every sacrifice you made in order to obey him. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's all stand up this morning. Father, I thank you for the power of the Spirit of God in Christ who lives in us. Let Christ rise up in our hearts. I want to pray a prayer over you that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I pray that you would see the nature of the battle in the spirit realm just like Elisha saw the chariots and the army of the Lord. I pray that your hearts would begin to see, not your physical eyes, your heart. You'd see what's going on. I pray that you would know the hope of your calling, that no matter what price you pay, you have the hope that's inside of your heart that if you live for Christ, Christ will reward you, that you would know the hope of your calling, that you'd know the inheritance that you have in Christ and how rich it is that you would know the surpassing greatness of Christ's power working inside of you. The same power that Christ raised Christ from the dead is working inside of you. God bless you. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus as your Savior, the Lord wants to invite you today to come, leave the kingdoms of this world and come into the kingdom of God. You can come to Jesus Christ today and have your sins forgiven, your sins washed away. You can be spiritually awakened and have the abiding presence of God in your life. God doesn't want Christians who are floundering and don't understand. He he wants us to be awakened to his purpose and plan that he has for each and every one of us. When God made you, God decided that the world would be a better place if you were on it. And he made you, and then he offers you salvation today to align yourself with him. If you're here and you've never met Jesus, I want to lead you to the Lord today. It's not a formula. I just want to lead you. I'm not leading you to church membership. I'm not leading you to me. I want to lead you to Jesus Christ. The Lord said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you want today to be the day where you are right with God, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. Just raise up your hand and say, I wanna be included in the closing prayer to give my life to Christ. And the whole church will be praying that prayer together. Then I'm gonna invite you to step out of your seat and come forward because the Lord said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my angels, before the Father. If you're here and never met Jesus, would you just lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, today I wanna be saved. Today I want to know that I know I'm right with God. Anyone here, I know all of you by face, but as someone here, you know if your relationship with the Lord is right. Father, I thank you, Lord. Let everyone leave here with the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. I pray that their feet would not stumble. They would walk faultless before you. Oh, God, I pray, Heavenly Father, let them go in the joy and the peace of your presence. I pray your provision, your health and healing, and most of all, your salvation in their lives. Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all. There'll be people here in the front to pray for you. No matter what your prayer need is, they want to pray with you. God bless you all. Thank you for coming today. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.